Good morning. Um, it is good morning, Krista. <laughs> uh, it is my privilege to be able to welcome you um, to the second day of the um, Marriage, Family, and Community Conference and to introduce to you again our speaker for the conference, Kevin DeYoung. Um, almost all of you, I think, were probably here yesterday and got to hear him um, and know a little bit about him. But I want to tell you just briefly something that we don't always get to hear about our chapel speakers. Um, I've known Kevin for um, a little bit more than a decade, I think. He was an intern at my home church when I was a junior at Michigan State University, and he came back a few years later to be the pastor of that church. I have gotten to know him as a pastor. Uh, my family and I have sat under his preaching and have been cared for by him. I've gotten to know him as a husband um, of my wife's dear friend, as a father of my children's playmates who they emulate and wish to climb like, um, as a boss for a couple years and as a brother and a friend. Um, and what I want you to know, because it's important to me when I hear somebody speak, is I want you to know that Kevin believes what he preaches and that he lives that out and seeks to live that out. Um, I hope that that's true of almost everybody that we bring in. I just don't know most people, and I do know Kevin, and so I want you to know that. Um, as I work with you all, my longing for you is that you, God would be magnified in your heart as you grow in the knowledge of Christ, what he has done for you, who you are in him, and how to live in light of that reality. Um, and I'm thankful because that is what Kevin desires for himself. That's what he pursues for himself. That's what he desires for those who listen to him. And so I'm thankful to have him here. I'm thankful that you guys get a chance to hear what I have heard for years. Um, and I'm thankful to be able to commend to you a man uh, not only for his doctrine and teaching, but for his life, even though he will be the first to tell you he's not perfect, that he strives after what he calls us to. And so I don't want to waste any more time. I'd like him to do that for us, invite Kevin to come up and open God's word for us. I'm sure you all realize that uh, you have quite a, quite a privilege in having uh, Kevin as an RD here and he and his family living among you, so thank you. No one ever whistles for me when I get up to preach, so he was wrong about one thing. I believe it would be my wife who would be the first to tell you that I'm not perfect. And yesterday I spoke about family and today I want us to think about children, and I am quick to uh, laugh with my children and laugh about my children and joke about my children. Uh, you need to know, though, I consider it, next to preaching the gospel and being married to my dear wife, the greatest privilege that I have in all the world, and that is to be a father to Ian and Jacob and Elsie and Paul and Mary, all, all five of them, ages nine, seven, five, three, and one. So it's like clockwork. And uh, uh, I always tell people that, you know, my, just my, my experience, everyone's is different, but marriage was much easier than people had 
forewarned me, and that probably has everything to do with my wife, and uh, being a dad has been more difficult, and they're not even teenagers yet. Uh, just the, the demands on your time and your energy, and with all of the blessings, there are so many obstacles and challenges, as any parent will tell you, and uh, sometimes the best thing to do is laugh, and we do that a lot, and I'm reminded of several things that Bill Cosby has said over the years. Again, that's what I watched when I was growing up, but I think one time someone asked him, you have four kids. Four, that's a lot. Why do you have four kids? And he just said, because I didn't want five. And I think he also said one time, you want to know what it's like to raise four kids? Imagine you're drowning and someone throws you four kids. <laughs> and that's it's pretty much what it's like. I also remember hearing a man once say that when he was younger, he had no children, and he had six theories about parenting, and now that he was older, he had six children and no theories, and I am well on my way to having no theories about parenting other than the basics that we find in the Word of God. There are many theories that we often have sometimes unarticulated about children, some people assume children are so special they will give your life meaning and purpose and so everything centers around children. As I heard one essayist say that we no longer live in the age of patriarchy or matriarchy but kindergarchy. Now the rule by children so that whatever your kids want is how you run your life and many of your parents lived under the reign of kindergarchy though you did not realize it as they shuttled you around to every little soccer game and every graduation from third grade to fourth grade and fourth grade to fifth grade. And wasn't that the line from The Incredibles when he said, they keep finding new ways to celebrate mediocrity. Graduations all the time. But I'm sure, seniors, it will be special for you in a few weeks. Other people think of children as a kind of blank slate. And if you give just the right education and the right books and the right upbringing and the right discipline and the right opportunities, then they will turn out fine and they will be wonderful citizens, they will be wonderful Christians. And though uh, good Christians would never use that theological terminology because we understand total depravity and original sin, yet that's how many of us look at parenting and how you, you may look at the prospect of having children someday, that they are just this putty for you to shape and mold and if you can just have the right pressure points and the right influences, then for sure they will turn out the way you want them to. Other people view children with the assumption that they are singularly a great burden to bear. So you often find even Christians say, whatever you do when you get married, make sure, make sure you enjoy your life a little bit before you have kids. It is all over then. And uh, we were married nine months, and then my wife got pregnant, not before she had a kid, we weren't that crazy, but nine months, and uh, we don't regret it, but you hear all these numbers all the time, uh, you know, it, it, it costs, by the time you have a child and raise that child and get him or her out of the house, it's going to cost you $13 million or something, and the cost of private education is $1.2 billion a year, though I'm sure the scholarships here defray most of that. When it comes to children, we have many theories, but I believe we need fewer theories and we need more theology. And in fact, we would do well to see what Jesus thinks about 
children. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And you may be asking yourself at this point, you know, don't I get nine skips a semester? Why did I come to the one about children? I could have missed this one. Um, but I think there is a reason for you as college students to hear Jesus' view of children. Not only because many of you, most of you will have children, or because of the fact that all of you are children, but because it teaches us so much about the Christian life. And Jesus was constantly referring back to children to help teach us about the nature of Christian discipleship. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let me suggest to you a theology of children from the lips of the Lord Jesus in three points. Three points because they're in there and three points because it is a sermon. So three points. Jesus' theology of children. Number one, we see that Jesus loves children. He loves children. The, the, the crowds were bringing children to him, parents, moms and dads. And it's on one level a natural thing that you would want this holy man to bless your children, to touch them. You might wait in line to get a book signed or they would wait in line to have a rabbi hold their child. Children of all ages, perhaps, the word is not specific in Mark's gospel at least, the same word here is used for a 12-year-old girl in Mark chapter 5, but certainly some of them were infants. In the parallel account in Luke's gospel, it says now they were bringing even infants, the Greek word brephe, those who nurse at the breast, infants to him that he might touch them. And we know that these children, many of them must have been quite small because it says in verse 16, he took them in his arms. Could be 16-year-olds, a little awkward, but uh, probably very young children as he takes them, cradles them in his arms. Now you may think, well, this seems very normal. After all, our politicians, they, they can't find a camera fast enough when they're holding a baby and to kiss that baby and be photographed with babies. But remember or notice, or let me instruct you for just a moment, that the attitude in the ancient world towards children was far different. For Greeks and Romans, there was virtually no sentimentality regarding children. Abortion was often attempted. Even more common was infanticide. They didn't have the mechanisms we have, and so they just did infanticide. And they often left their children to exposure, meaning they left a, a newborn child to die in the elements. It was not uncommon. There were too many mouths to feed in the empire. Consequently, kids were good if they could work in the fields, but as small children, they were often unwanted, could literally be left for dead. 
There was no sentimentality. There was no kindergarten here in the ancient world. And even among the Jews who treated their children better and viewed them as blessings from God, they still had no social standing. They were seen and not heard. Their position was derived from their relationship to their parents and chiefly to their fathers. Little children were a gift from God, but as unique persons, they were deemed insignificant. So they did not have the sentimentality that we have, the, the ooing and aahing. And of course, parents have always loved their children, but as a culture, their attitudes were different. So the disciples had good reason to think that this was a tremendous bother to Jesus, inappropriate, that Jesus, who's been busy casting out demons and healing lepers and walking on water, I mean, Jesus is a busy guy. He's got people to heal and gospel to preach, and here are the crowds rushing upon him, pressing in on him to wait in line that he can hold their little babies. They had every reason to think that this would have been a nuisance to him. Like waiting in line after some conference for your favorite preacher and you wait in line and say, Dr. Piper, could you tie my shoe? Could you tie my children's shoe? They're, they're Velcro. It'll be just a moment, but could you just, <laughs> please. They take great satisfaction and delight and joy when you tie their shoes. It's like waiting in line that you might have your pastor bless your hamster. Really? You're waiting in line and here's everyone and just there's a long line going out the door and you all have that little ball, that little clear thing and just everyone's in line and just what are you doing? Well, my hamster, he's so tiny and precious and just want him to pray. And, and Surely Kevin here would, would say, look, my friend here has more important things to do than your hamsters and he'd be kicking them down and rolling them around and this is sort of what the disciples thought this come on he's a busy guy he's got important things to do you're waiting in line for him to kiss your baby and bless him but look what Jesus does this strong language he was indignant the disciples rebuked those this language was used for exorcism throughout the Gospels, to rebuke the demons. There's, we rebuke you, get away from here. And Jesus was absolutely indignant with holy outrage. Do not hinder the little children to come unto me. So the song you may have learned is true. Jesus loves the little children of the world. They're not a bother to him. Surely this means you are not a bother when you come in humility and Jesus' name and come to your heavenly Father as his adopted children. You are never a bother to God when you come to him in Jesus' name. You're never a bother when you come. And scripture says, cast all your cares on him. I could tell you as a parent, as a sinful parent, that yet I want, I always want my kids to come to me. Is something bothering you? I want to hear about it. Do you have a problem? I don't know if I can fix it, but I want to know about it. And your heavenly father is not bothered. I know, I mean, I just kind of get this in my head sometimes. Oh, God, there's, I, my life is so good. I, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not starving and I'm not being persecuted and you know, really, you're you're very busy, God, and surely you you have more important people to listen to. You have all sorts of people praying to you, and I'm just coming you with my little problems. I just, uh, the date didn't go well. I don't know what to major, all sorts of things, and you need to know your heavenly Father is not bothered when you cast your cares upon him. And here's the challenge for us. Do you find little children to be a bother to you? Kevin didn't tell me to say this just because he might be one of the few people with kids here, but uh, isn't it easy to take the attitude not of Jesus but of the disciples? I, I, I will never forget that when I was a kid and I waited in line to shake my pastor's hand. He was very tall. And he always shook my hand and looked me right in the eye. How's it going, Kevin? God just knew that he knew me. He, he noticed me, shook my hand and recognized that I was a, a human being. And, and even when I was a teenager and people in my church would come up, and you, you know what it's like is, you know, you, you'll go back to your home church maybe this summer and, you know, everyone there will ask you the same three questions. Hey, how's college? You know, and you'll be good, good, yeah. How was the food? Meet anyone special? And, and yet, as, as, as bothered as I was at times, yet I, I knew that these people cared about me. They didn't have to come and initiate an awkward conversation with an awkward teenager, but they did, and they, they suffered through it, and they asked me the questions, and I knew that they cared about me. Do you think that working with children is something that you do when you're just sort of working your way up to important things in life? I don't think any man is called to the ministry if he is not eager to teach even to children. I don't think you're ready to really minister if you don't view children as a serious calling. Now, everyone has different gifts, and there's a reason I'm the senior pastor and not the youth pastor and uh, not the children's pastor. But do you view children it's just sort of well that's kind of what you do in church because you know the church doesn't really trust you to do anything else but they'll trust you with their kids <laughs> I can tell you as a pastor and a parent no we don't just trust anybody how do you view children we sometimes forget in our great rush to want to win the world to Christ and to go to the inner city and go to the hard places and college students that By and large, the way that God most often works in His covenant community is through raising covenant children to go to covenant college and and, and walk with Him all their days. Do you take an interest in children as people made in the image of God? Let me tell you, one of the best things you can do as a college student is to not spend all your time with college students. Now, it's a wonderful time But I am so glad when I was in college that got involved in local church and uh, I sang in the church choir with old people and I uh, volunteered for boys brigade and when I was in seminary taught the four and five year olds catechism class. There is nothing more important for you in this season of life than that you see that the body of Christ is much bigger than 18 to 22-year-olds. How do you view children? Jesus loved children. 
Here's the second thing we see in Jesus' theology. The kingdom belongs to kids. You see, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom. This is remarkable. To, to such belong the kingdom. Now, certainly he, he's making an analogy. We see at the end of verse 15. If you receive the kingdom like a child. So he's making an analogy that you are to receive the kingdom like a child. We'll come to that point in a moment. But when he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, he doesn't simply mean to those like children, but not children. That would be a strange way of saying it. For to such belong the children, but obviously not actually these people I'm talking to right now. It'd be like if uh, you said about your wedding day, such days are never to be forgotten. Now, what, what, what do you mean, such days? You mean days like that, and hopefully you mean that day, unless you mean, you know what, days like that are never to be forgotten. That day, however, man, I can't get rid of that memory fast enough. Wow, that was painful, that was awkward. But So when Jesus says, to such belongs the kingdom, he means like a child, but he also means children. The kingdom of God, his reign and rule. If we had time, we could look at how Jesus uses the kingdom language in chapter 9 and chapter 10 as a shorthand for a whole constellation of things, for submission to the king and the revelation of the king's glory and fellowship with God. And he has the audacity to say this kingdom belongs to little babies. Now, does this mean our children are automatically born again? automatically saved, automatically bound for eternal life? No. They may prove to be covenant breakers, though they had the privilege of being born into a covenant family. So we don't want to read into Jesus' language here, as I said yesterday, that he's trying to give a full-orbed view of justification or regeneration. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I reckon these children, okay, he's from Tennessee, I reckon these children even these little babies, to be among my flock. My kingdom, the kingdom I am bringing, the kingdom arriving in my person, the kingdom of blessing, of entrance, of welcome, this kingdom belongs to them. And so he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Now you gotta understand, this is a serious thing, to take them and bless them. There's a long history of this in the Old Testament with the patriarchs before they pass on or or Jacob, or Moses, they would bless the people, or they would bless their children. Or Numbers chapter 6, I was just reading in my quiet time this morning, the, the priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Service isn't quite over yet. But the blessing, that this was not just Jesus' way of saying, good luck, good luck. With the Lord's blessing, may God smile upon this child. See, this is the, uh, the tension with everything that I said yesterday. Remember, I started by saying family ties don't get you in. And they don't in terms of uh, intimate communion with Christ and fellowship with Christ and uh, born again in Christ you can have all the external connections and still not really be a disciple. 
And yet here we see the, the, the tension with that. That there is a sense in, with, in which these children, born to faithful parents, bringing them to Christ, have a unique privilege in the Lord. When Paul says in Ephesians 6, chapter 1, that you are to raise your children in the Lord. It's a really striking phrase because he's already assuming that though your children may not have professed any faith yet, yet they still have Christ as their covenant Lord and owe Him allegiance as their Lord. So there is a unique privilege that children have born into the the household of God. It's one of the reasons why Presbyterians and Reformed folks rightly believe in infant baptism. Now our goal and prayer is that our kids would follow Christ all their days and inherit the kingdom which belongs to them. But we mustn't, as I said yesterday, we mustn't assume either on the one hand that every child born into a believing household is going to be a Christian nor must we assume that the only way to really become a Christian is to go through some profound, deep crisis experience and then come out on the other side with a conversion story. Some of you maybe even, you know, you, you panic. Someone says, tell me your testimony. You're like, oh man, I got testimony envy. I just don't have anything. My parents raised me in the Lord. See, there is a great privilege. And I hope every one of you that had the opportunity to be raised by a mom or a dad or a mom and a dad who brought you to church and loved you and taught you the way of Jesus, I hope you thank them for it and I hope you thank the Lord deeply for it. And I can say this to you, and and you maybe wouldn't listen if somebody older said it or your parents said it, but that was my experience. I grew up, and you you ought to be ashamed of yourselves if you go on and on and talk about and complain about you living out of bubble, and I had to go to church, and you kind of look at that. There are people on this planet who are giving everything they have to give the privilege to their kids that so many of you had. And you should be thankful. For to such belong the kingdom of God of God, that God was pleased to look upon you, many of you from an early age, say, yes, they belong to the household of God. God is a God to us and to our children. I hope that many of you can say, as Polycarp, one of the first martyrs did, he said, I have been the Lord's servant these 86 years, meaning all my days I was raised to follow the Lord Jesus and be a part of His kingdom, and there is no greater privilege. Here's the third point. No one can enter the kingdom who does not receive it as a child. So Jesus loves children, number one. Number two, the kingdom belongs to children. And third, no one enters the kingdom who does not receive it as a child. What does it mean to receive it as a child? We often think, well, as a child, you know, maybe uh, a child's very innocent, or a child is, has complete trust, or childlike faith. But notice here, th- these are infants, many of them. Th- there, there's no faith to which Christ is pointing. That may be a true statement, childlike faith in a way, and complete trust and dependence, and, 
But, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not drawing attention, I don't think, to any particular virtues in children. Rather, he is drawing attention to the lowly state of children. These children are blessed not for what they have, but for what they lack. They lack power. They lack sophistication. They lack influence. They lack ability. As one author puts it, they have no credits, no clout, no claims. And we often think of this passage as Jesus saying, you've got to have faith like a child. and Believe and be very tender and earnest. And all of that is, is true. It's just not what I think Jesus is talking about here. He's saying to enter the kingdom, you have to reckon yourself and acknowledge yourself to be as helpless and lowly and desperate as these little ones. And what's fascinating, if you, if you see here in Mark, which I had time to do this, but Mark's gospel is famous for having all these Mark and sandwiches, they're called, that Jesus will kind of give point A and then point B, and then he'll come back to point A, and then in the middle he's kind of making his point. We see the same thing here in chapter 10. If you look at the passage we just read, the little children, there's an example of how you come to Christ in faith. At the end of chapter 10, you see Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. There's another way to come to Jesus in faith. You're a beggar, you're blind, you cry out for mercy. And in between, he gives two examples how not to come. We have the rich young man who was proud. We have the request of James and John to sit at the, the right and the left hand of Christ in his kingdom. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's giving four stories here, and we're looking at just the first of them to demonstrate how you do and how you don't come into the kingdom. The right way is like a child and like a beggar. The wrong way is like a rich man and like a proud man. So to enter the kingdom is to bring to Christ your weakness instead of your strength. To recognize you are a nobody instead of a somebody. To accept that your role is to receive, not to deserve. See, this is different than almost anything else in life. Making a resume. Having a job interview. You go into that first job interview. So tell me about yourself. Well, not very bright, not very sophisticated. Um... I don't work very hard, and um, I'm not very accomplished. There's really nothing. I'm completely unable. Doesn't go very far. First date, well, a little bit ugly, and uh, a little bit selfish, and I'm sort of just thinking about me right now, and uh, hope that you're willing to provide. You look like a young lady capable of it, so... Uh, that doesn't get you very far. But this is the way you come into the kingdom. There are no professionals when it comes to receiving the kingdom. No elites, no PhDs, no postdocs, no upper class, upper middle class, no celebrities, no sought after scholars, no famous speakers, no business leaders, no important politicians, no famous athletes, just little kids. It's the only way. That you're carried. You're carried. Christ. Think of this picture, and then we'll be done. It's a striking picture. You're, you're, a, you're a child. You're an infant. They carry, they carry them to Christ. Imagine the nursery in your church is the kingdom, and you have to enter it, and the only way to enter it is to have someone carry you there. Now, it's all well and good when you get the top. Oh, 
come here. Oh, yes, yes, precious, sweet, there you go. And then you, maybe you get a, a four-year-old, hey, big fella, okay, I'll carry you over. And they come to you. And then you get your dad. Let's get two guys here, three, four, and... And you just picture walking down your church, and there's Jesus carrying everybody over. A little humbling. You want to say, Jesus, I can walk. I know you got to carry the babies. There's no babies, but I, I, I can walk. I know where the nursery is. I know how to get in there. And when Jesus is saying, no, you don't. And you don't have any way to get in there except I carry you in my arms and I take you there like a child. And see, it takes great humility. There's lots of intellectual objections to Christianity. There's lots of reasons people have hurts, but this is the number one reason people simply do not want to humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, you know what? I, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not good enough, and I'm not behave well enough. And Lord Jesus, you call the shots. You're my only hope. You're my only comfort. And unless you carry me, I'm not going to get in. And I hope with everything you're learning here to be leaders and to be superstars and to make a difference and to change the world and to be shepherds, I hope that you never forget the most important privilege, and that's to be a sheep and to be a little child that Christ would carry and receive into his kingdom. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would, you would bring us low, that you might lift us up. Perhaps I need to hear this as much as anyone, and so give me humility and to everyone here who is a somebody to everyone here who was something when they were in high school and special in their church. and Everyone here has got good grades and can sing and play sports and a lot of friends. We thank you for it all, Lord. and We cast it all at your feet. And we count it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And we come to you helpless, weak, trembling, fearful, nothing to offer to you but our sins. And we need to receive everything from your hand like a child. And we know that you will do it through Jesus our Lord. Amen.